and to share. Uh, I am no longer preaching in a permanent situation, just kind of filling in for pastors. I work at uh, Hillcrest Hospital in Cushing, Oklahoma, have several opportunities to minister there. I'm over support services and environmental services there, and, and God has used me in many ways uh, there to, uh, to minister. And, uh, but it's always good to get back into the pulpit occasionally and uh, to, to be able to share God's Word, because that's uh, one of the things that I, I really love to do is to share His Word. And I'm still praying. You might be praying for me as what God's plans are for me. Uh, I'm not haven't decided yet uh, just exactly where God is leading me, but uh, I'm thinking uh, that God might be leading me someday into a seniors ministry. And uh, I've been asked uh, in, at Enid to do that, and uh, but they're not ready to uh, pay someone full-time, and I'm not on Medicare or Medicaid or any of that other stuff yet. So, uh, But we know that one day God will probably do that. I don't know if you know, but Harold and I and Tim Dotson from uh, the First Christian Church in Sepulpa have been accountability partners for about 15 years now. And I really value that relationship with uh, those two men, especially your preacher, Brother Harold. Uh, we, uh, uh, you know, iron sharpens irons, and preachers need a place to go sometimes just to... Uh, to be ministered to, and we minister to one another, and and uh, we're we have the right to say anything, and uh, if we see something maybe going a little awry, we can say hey, and uh, nothing nothing better than a brother humbling you sometimes in experience or challenging your faith, and uh, it's been a great deal with me. Uh, Harold and I, you know, share a lot of stories, and and uh, I but I dreamed just the other day, that Harold died and, and went to heaven, and yeah, it was just such a sad event, and, but just three weeks later, I fell into a bad situation of where I had an accident and died also. So here I am, I'm thinking, well, at least I'm going to meet Brother Harold, I know somebody up there, and uh, anyhow, I get to the pearly gates, and I meet St. Peter, and He's beginning to check me in. He says, the first thing you've got to do is when you get to heaven is you have to go up these stairs and there's a room up there with a blackboard. And you need to write all your sins on that blackboard. And I thought, man, that's going to take a long time. And uh, I'll never get to see Harold this way. And uh, so I begin the long trek up the steps and all of a sudden I see this bolt of lightning coming down the stairs and all of a sudden, I, I see that it's Harold. And I'm going, Harold, where are you going in such a hurry? He says, I got to get more chalk. I got to get more chalk. <laughs> we all are sinners in need of God's grace, aren't we? Amen. And thank God when we get there, there are no blackboards. They've all been erased. This morning I want to share a message about one of my favorite characters in the Bible, John the Baptist. We all remember that John was the, the pre-leader of Christ. He came to announce Christ's coming to the world. He was a cousin of Jesus, 
But he was the type of individual that uh, said it just the way it was. No bones about it. He was a preacher. And today I want to talk about John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus, which is a type of the Holy Spirit in preparing men's heart to bow down to the claims of Jesus. John the Baptist wasn't one of those guys that was dressed in a three-piece suit or had a nice tie. It said that he was a rugged man. He, he lived in the wilderness. He wasn't wearing uh, the, the latest fashions. He was wearing what a hunter would wear. He wasn't eating in the greatest restaurants. He was eating locust and wild honey. I don't think there's ever been a day that I have really craved locusts. I don't know about you. I don't care how much honey you put on. <laughs> but he was there preparing men's heart for the master to receive him as Lord and master in, his li- in their lives. Because Jesus was about to come onto the picture to save souls. John the Baptist preached the necessity of repentance. Say that word with me. Repentance. Now say it like you mean it. Repentance. All right. I can hear him this day still. I would I could just hear him in my mind saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. See, repentance, he was faithful to keep sinners' feet to the fire. Israel had kind of grown cold. In the 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. They hadn't heard from the Lord. They hadn't had a direct word from a prophet. And now here was this voice of one crying in the wilderness. Repent. Repent. Because King Jesus is coming. And he will pardon their sins. And he will give them salvation. I want to speak along the line of the ministry of John the Baptist. And the title of my message this morning is The Sermon That Cost the Preacher His Head. The Sermon That Cost the Preacher His Head. In Mark, the 16th chapter, verses 14 and 20, we read this passage of John the Baptist preaching. King Herod heard about this Jesus' name had come, become well-known. Some were saying John the Baptist had raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and others still claim he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested And he had him bound and put in prison. And he did this because Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married, for John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against him and John, uh, against John and wanted to kill him. And she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. And when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Isn't that the way of our world? 
They like to hear good messages. They like to hear, have their ears tickled. But they're not willing to have their hearts changed. Let's go on. Now the old Herod knew that John the Baptist was bringing the truth. And he was afraid of him and respected him. And he did a lot of things that John said he must be done. And he, and he hears him gladly. But in verse 21 it goes on and says, Finally an opportune time came at his birthday. Herod gave a banquet. Oh, did I scare him? <laughs> All right. And, uh, and, and he gave a banquet for his high officials, the military commandos, and leading men of Galilee. And the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, and she pleased Herod and his di dinner guest. And he said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, And whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. And once the girl hurried into the king with a request, I want to give you right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed. <clears throat> but because of his oath and his dinner guests, he did not refuse her. So immediately he sent to the executor with orders to bring John's head. And the man went and beheaded John in the prison and brought him back his head on a platter. And he presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. And on hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it into a tomb. John had been preaching. The crowds had been coming to the sea of Gal or to the Jordan River. And they had been coming in, in hordes. Not only, the, not only the common people, but even the priests and, and, and the Levites had come and stood afar off to see what was going on because they heard of this great man who had been preaching, this great prophet. And they feared John. And we hear that here, this sermon that he was preaching of righteousness and coming to God and repenting and turning about and turning our lives around cost him his head. It was a sermon on holiness. It was a sermon on God's holy law. It was a sermon on the requirement of a holy God. And it was a sermon on the character of God. And here is the mouthpiece, the voice of the holy man of God named John the Baptist facing the king of Judea and his ungodly wife and his ungodly daughter and all the courtiers that stand about the court. And when this king hears from God through the lips of God's preacher and God's prophet that it is not lawful for him to have his brother's wife, that sermon on faithfulness and truth cost John the Baptist his head. But it cost Herod far more. Because he did not heed the truth of that message. It cost him eternity because he was not willing to repent. Revelations 21.8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their place in the lake with burners with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Do you believe there's a hell today? Folks, I think sometimes we at the church don't see the urgency we think that there is some way, a second way for people to get into heaven. Because if we truly saw people as being lost without Jesus Christ, 
that we would be far more vigilant in getting the message out, about talking about repentance. But the sad thing is, is I think that we, like the frog in the science lab, rather than entering the hot water, we kind of enter the lukewarm water, and as it continues to boil, we have just become so succumbed to it that we become meaningless, and we get boiled and fried along with them. You know, my friend, beginning with John the Baptist ministry and beginning to the end of the New Testament, repentance is the watchword throughout the entire New Testament. In fact, it's the watchword throughout the entire Bible from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 21. It's the word, the watchword. It's what it is all about. When John the Baptist hit the deck to prepare hearts, people's hearts for Jesus Christ, he immediately announced in Matthew 3, 2, he says, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We need to repent. We need to turn. We need to come to God. We need to make that new relation. We need to make that about face and come to Jesus the first sermon the Lord Jesus ever preached, he demanded repentance. The apostle Paul, the author, as the Holy Spirit gave utterance, and that eternal command is recorded in Acts 17, 30, and it says, and the time of man's ignorance. God winked at. But now he commands all men everywhere, what? To repent. To repent. That is an about face that is believing that God's way is true. That what's in this book is the only way to life. This is the only way to happiness. If we build and base our life on this. Do we see this in our world today? Do we see this book being raised up? No. We see it being removed. It's not lawful to have it in your office because it's an offensive. This book has become offensive the scripture says that Jesus is a stumbling block to some. Right? It is a stumbling block. But to others, it is life. And to we in the church, this is life. And life everlasting. In the Bible, my friends, the word repentance, the act of repentance, the duty of repentance, the command of repentance, the gift of repentance is the first step. Is the first step to a new life. There is no use for us to deny that God Almighty demands repentance because it's there in His Word. It's there in Acts 2.38 when the Israelites ask on that day of Pentecost when the apostles were preaching and, and, they, and they realized that the blood of Jesus Christ was upon their hands. And they said, men and brethren, what must we do? And what did Peter say? Repent. 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 We sometimes slip over that word repent and go right to baptism. We go right to baptism. Oh, well, you know, we got we to make sure people are baptized. Let me tell you, folks. If we baptize every person in the world and they have not been repented, they go down a dry center and come back up a wet center. 
He commands repentance. In Acts 17, 30, it says, without it, it's the first duty of men and women. Without it, we cannot be saved. I know that I'm preaching in a day when we have made it too easy to become a Christian. You know, we don't want to make it too hard. We have become seeker-friendly. Now, there's nothing wrong with, you know, with, with being the kindest, the politest, the nicest people in the world. But we can't change the gospel. We can't change it so... We can take out parts that, that other people, you know, we don't want to preach on repentance because that's a little offensive to people. Let's tone it down. Folks, except Jesus said, except you repent, you will likewise perish. What I've got to come to the fact that everybody has to come to the fact is that I believe God's way is the right way. There is no other way. There is no other name given among men whereby we might be saved. Amen? Amen. There's only one name, and that's Jesus, through whom we might be saved today. A generation or two ago, I remember when I started preaching nearly 33 years ago, that that was beginning the turning of events in the church to, to soften down our ministry. I can remember having those hellfire damnation revivals. When people like R.G. Lee used to preach sermons like sinners in the hand of an angry God. Well, God's not angry at people. He loves us, but He's angry about sin. He's angry about how it has taken his children away from him. It has turned them away. And we can see in our nation that no longer, even our president says we're not a Christian nation anymore. We kind of get upset that he said that, but let me tell you folks, it happened long before he said it. And why did it happen? Not because of politics. It happened because the church stood quietly by. Thank God our hope is not built in the United States of America or in the laws of any land. Jesus started his church in the midst of complete antagonism against the church against any righteousness. The Jews were against the Christians. The Romans were against the Christians. Everybody was against the Christians. But the Christians seemed to somehow rise up. And I think we can do that again, don't you? Because we have the truth. The truth will set us free. See, the Word of God, we are told about the cross... And the cross is talking about taking up our cross and following Him, doing just exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. 
Jesus said, if you will follow after me, you must take up your cross and follow me. Well, I didn't know any, nobody ever told me I had to take up cross. I remember when I was in college, we kept trying to, you know, say, give your life to Jesus and all your problems will be gone. That's right. <laughs> that didn't happen. That wasn't what Jesus was all about. Jesus was all about the fact that when we become a Christian, all of our problems are no longer problems. They're possibilities for Jesus Christ to work in our life and make a difference. When I became a Christian, there wasn't a king's ex put upon me. But rather, the king was put upon me. The king who was able to take over all my problems and help me through them. See, all I needed to do was to repent. It meant my willingness to hate sin like he hated sin. It made, it made me want to love him more than, than love the world. See, Christ is all about repentance. Not walking alone, but walking with him and moving forward. <coughs> Excuse me. In Luke 13, 3, it says, Except ye repent, you will all likewise perish. See, we cannot dodge this step in our salvation. I must come to the point where I become a whole soul believer that God's way is the right way. Doing things God's way is the right way. Not trying to make excuses for other things. Now, if you're divorced today, I, I, I'm not talking about your divorce. But it's sad in our nation that divorce has become as, as, as easy as changing clothes. God didn't mean it that way. God meant it as one woman for one man for life. And it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Now, it doesn't mean I don't love homosexual people. I, I don't understand that. But their way is not right. It's not God's way. It's not God's plan. And they can, they can seek all the normalcy that they want in their sin and in their desire to do things their way rather than God's way. And they'll never find peace because it's not found unless you're right with God. We must begin to believe that God's way is all the only way. Old Herod was willing, wasn't willing to do things God's way. And because of it, it led him into the murder of John the Baptist. Remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night? 
scripture says he was a nice, respectable man, a member of the greatest religious group the world at that time had ever seen. They were strict in many respects, honorable above board in every way, but he told old Nicodemus that a miracle had to take place in his life and in his heart. He had to become born again. All may Jesus Christ let the righteousness be established and dominant principle in your life. You've got to quit doing things your way. I, you can take the Ten Commandments and you can take all the laws that you want to put and you try to live by them, you're not going to be able to do it without the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus answered, Verily I say unto you, what must I do to have eternal life? He said, "What Verily I say unto you, except a man be born again of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit. Marvel not that I have said unto you, you must be born again. And that new birth experience involves repentance, a change in our hearts and our life. Let us surrender. Let surrender be our action and our attitude, and then joy will be our portion. No righteousness, no peace, no surrender, no joy. The Lord Jesus will tell men to labor not for what is perishable, but to labor for that which is eternal. John 6, 27 says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat that which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give unto you, for he for him hath God the Father sealed. Jesus would say again in Luke 13, 24, Strive to enter the straight gate. For many, I say, will say unto you, will seek to enter it, but shall not be able. What is repentance? Repentance is lining me up with Christ. Lining me up with Christ. Not one degree off, not two degrees off, not three degrees off but lining me directly up with Christ. This morning, John the Baptist demanded that the people repent. Repentance is a conviction, and yet it's not a conviction. It's more than a conviction. It is an action. No man has been able to repent other than deeply coming down into his life. It is not just saying, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry about this. Repentance is a matter that I come to my senses and I realize I have been doing things against God and I fall on my knees and say, God, I no longer want to do it my way. It is your way. It is action. There was a Hotel clerk. Asked to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Hotel clerk. Said, all right, I'll give you a call at 5 o'clock in the morning. Now I've got to be up. The call came. The guy didn't get up. And he goes, why, why didn't you do something else? He says, I gave you the call. It's up to you to do the action. 
See, conviction means that we have to do it. It is our duty to repent. Repentance is more than sorrowful sin, more, more than sorrow. The lawyer came up to Jesus. Remember the rich young ruler? But he wasn't sorry enough to quit the things that he had. He said, what, what lack I yet? What lack I yet this morning? Have you asked Jesus that question? You know that things aren't right in your heart. You know things that aren't right. What lack I yet? This morning, are we going to go away from here sorrowful, knowing that we, we, we still aren't in straight alignment with Christ? Have you truly repented? Have you been able, have you sought a new heart as you put yourself into the hands of a sovereign God? Have you been able to abhor the things of, of the world, your old nature, your old sinful ways? Have you been able to renounce those things? And with a conviction and with a confidence, trust and, and surrender, God, I'm going to do things your way. And repentance is more than just saying I'm sorry. But it's becoming that light, becoming that world, becoming that different person that others see, see you. And they see the difference. Do they see a difference in our lives? Do, they, do we make a difference in our world? There was a dark day between Malachi and Matthew, as I mentioned as we started our message. John the Baptist came streaking across the land. When it was totally black. No one had heard from God. And he become that burning and shining light. Jesus the greatest character in history. Says that there was no man comparable. To John the Baptist. Well this morning. I pray that my life stands. In marked contrast to the world. That when people see me. They don't see Dan Wilson. But they see Jesus Christ. They notice the difference. They notice that my language, my tongue is different. That I that I, I I don't have to cuss. I don't have to use foul language. That I'm an encourager. That I don't gossip when I when I when I when I talk about other people. It's a matter of encouragement and helping. And that's very. You have to be very careful on that. Do they see that that? I am always helpful. I'm there for them. That I am a go-to person if they need something. And do I look for opportunities that I might present Christ? When people say good things about me, I say, well, I'm, that's really not me. That's Jesus in me. If you'd seen me before, you wouldn't recognize. But Jesus has made the difference. I'm not perfect. I still make mistakes. And if you see me in one of those mistakes, that's, that's, that's me coming back on board rather than Jesus. See, not Isaiah, Jeremiah, or any of the towering saints. Jesus said John the Baptist. Why? Because John the Baptist stood on the truth. He appears in the wilderness. It was not only a wilderness ge geographically, it was not only a wilderness morally, it was not only a wilderness politically, it was not only a wilderness religiously. It was a wilderness of people, as the songwriter said a few minutes ago, that were broken 
who needed direction, who knew that they weren't lining up. As much as they tried to follow the law or do things, it wasn't lining up that they needed to line up with Jesus. Oh, this morning, he preached turn or burn. That's the only two choices, turn or burn. There's no middle ground. There's not anybody going to get to heaven some other way except by getting their lives right with Jesus. And then he's going to make all the difference. The amazing thing about God's word and God's law, remember in Galatians 5 when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it goes through all the fruits. And what does it say at the end? Against such there is no law. That's the ways of Jesus. It's doing things right. Doing things right. Today, you may know the right thing to do, but if you don't do it, if you don't put it to action, if you don't take your conviction and put it to action, it's going to do you no good. When we get to St. Peter's Gate, he's not going to ask us, did we believe? He's going to ask, did you act upon it? Did you receive Christ? Did you repent? Did you turn your life around? Won't you act today? As we have this opportunity at our hymn of invitation. I don't know what our invitation song is. Phyllis, what is it? He touched me. Today, if Jesus touched you, and you need to repent, you need to make it right with God. You need to, you've been doing it your way. You may have been baptized. You may have been whatever, but you're you're not in straight alignment with Christ. We don't want you to leave this place today without being in alignment with Him. Paul said, I must die daily. That's repentance. Every day I've got to die to self and live to Christ as we stand together and sing.